We are continuing our series, Cover Your Bulletin, The Life You've Always Wanted and Believed Somewhere Was True, kind of a, I don't know, description, a colorful description, I hope, of the larger block of teaching which we've been in for a handful of weeks and it covers three chapters, really the opening of the New Testament, you might say, after some important um, details about the birth of Jesus and his uh, apostles uh, coming into the fold, we begin with this great block of teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. We're in Matthew chapter 5, so you have a copy of the Bible, open up to Matthew 5 and kind of right in the middle of this chapter, verses 33 through 37, in a message titled, Integrity. Integrity. You know, we've been talking, if you've been here, if you haven't, uh, it's okay, we've been talking about this block of teaching. And it's the greatest sermon, uh, greatest in the sense of it's um, uh, the, the bulk of it, the size of it that Jesus gives in the New Testament. You might say his largest block of teaching. Many would say in some ways it's the foundation or teaching of everything else that comes in the New Testament. Everything else in the New Testament and the rest of the teachings of Jesus and the writings of the apostles um, are teasing out, are, are bringing to greater clarity the truths that are in this inaugural sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, speaking about the kingdom of God. And Jesus has been talking about, um, just to quickly reinforce or restate, the moral law of God right? What is the moral law of God? What place does it have in the life of a Christian? You know, you shall love the Lord your God. You shall honor your mother and your father. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall tell the truth. You shall not covet your neighbor's stuff, etc. What place does the moral law of God have? Because what the Bible teaches, especially in the New Testament, is that Jesus Christ in his life and in his death fulfilled the moral law on our behalf. He's the only person, although there's people in this room that are better than other people, morally speaking, in the sense, right? We've lived a better life or you've lived a better life than some, morally speaking, if we're looking at some list. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God, so to speak. No one is perfect relative, relative to the moral law of God, except one person. Jesus lived a perfect moral life. And he did it in a winsome and loving way, fulfilled all of the laws on our behalf. That's what salvation means. He did it for you. And he suffered a horrible death as the punishment for disobedience, which he didn't earn, but you and I did. And we benefit from his compliance, his fulfillment of the law, all of it, and he gives it to us as a gift. That's the gospel. So some have said, well, that's great. Who needs the moral law of God? And Jesus says, it's still very important, not as a means for you or I or anyone to gain acceptance with God, but as, a, as something to aspire to with God's power, with God's help, not to gain his love, but because we have it, okay? And that's what Jesus has been talking about. We talked about anger as the true underlying meaning of the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. We talked about lust as the underlying true command in under the seventh commandment. And this morning in these short verses, we'll talk about the words that we speak. Two of the 10 commandments, number three and number nine, really talk about whether or not we tell the truth, right? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, verse 
or I should say the third commandment, and whether or not we tell the truth um, about and to each other. You shall not have, give false testimony. It's the Bible's way of saying you shall not um, lie to your neighbors and your friends and about other people. So that's what Jesus is talking about. Chapter 5, verse 33 through 37. Follow along as I read. Again, you have heard it that it was said to the people long ago. He's talking about the days of Moses. Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows that you have made. Verbal integrity. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your own head, for that matter, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Oh, that I could. I would do it, I'll tell you. All you need to say is simply yes and no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. First point in this message. The good life, which we've been talking about, right? What is the good life? Has only one level of truth. Or that's what Jesus is trying to say here. Now, what's he getting at? What's his, what's his, he's being critical. As I've said in this whole sermon, he, he opens up the sermon, Matthew 5, 20. We looked at it a month ago and he said, listen, there's two paths for righteousness, right? And by righteousness, he means acceptance, approval by God. Two ways to live your life. Two ways to achieve, uh, you know, the life that God has always uh, wants you to have and it offers us in the kingdom of God. One is that you go out and create it yourself. It's a self righteousness, right? It's I look at the law of God and go, okay, thanks for the information. I'm going to go out and bootstrap my way there. I'm going to be a do-gooder. I'm going to take all the energy that I have and I'm going to muster that up to see if I can fulfill the law of God. It's an outside work its way, hopefully inside kind of good life. And Jesus has said many times, including in the sermon, good luck. You know, that doesn't work. It's impossible, though things don't work that way, and you can work very hard on the outside trying to be a good person, trying to live what God says, and you will, you will very soon see how incredibly difficult it is, how you are not built to do that. And over time, if you keep it up, there's going to be a greater disparity between what you say and how you act and what's really going on in your heart. And others may not see it, but I do. And he's saying that kind of righteousness is... Um, is, is is a very poor strategy. Then there's another kind of righteousness, which is the basis of this entire sermon, that is the Sermon on the Mount, and that is a given righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Matthew 5, uh, 3, 6, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who wake up every morning and say, listen, whether I'm Mother Teresa or I'm you know, a, 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 a criminal of the worst kind and anywhere in between, I, my righteousness falls short. I don't have any of that kind of righteousness in my life, and I have to open wide my mouth and God will fill it. It's his gift. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But what these leaders are doing, what Jesus is criticizing in his own clever and, and very um, interesting teaching way, is he's trying to unearth the wrong way of doing things 
while he's encouraging us in the right way. So what does he mean here? You know, don't take an oath. Better for you not to swear at all. Don't, let, me, let me just help you get rid of this whole system of swearing by you know, heaven or swearing by Jerusalem or all this elaborate system. And he says, listen, you shouldn't do it at all because what they were doing, and, and this may not make sense to us, but I'll, I'll hopefully tease this out very quickly, is they created a sort of binding and non-binding way of speaking. In this culture... To talk about God or to use God's name, perhaps not so much in our own, was very big business, right? If you said, you know, I said, John, my, listen, John, I'm going to be there. I swear by God that I'm going to be there at 5 o'clock in this culture. That was a very serious matter, okay? Look at this one verse very quickly, of Ecclesiastes 5. When you make a vow to God, okay, this is the Old Testament mindset. Do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It's better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. You might think it doesn't matter what you say, but God says it does. So what this culture did was they said, listen, we're going to come up with a clever way of having binding and non-binding speech. I, there's going to be times when I really mean what I say. I'm going to say, John... By the name of God, I will be there at 5 o'clock. But there are other times where I don't really mean what I'm going to say. And whether it's promising I'm going to be somewhere, promising I'm going to love somebody, promising I'm going to show up, promising I'm going to do what I say. See, those times, as crazy as this sounds, I'm going to swear by heaven instead of God. I'm going to swear by Jerusalem instead of um, God. I'm going to swear by my own head. It's kind of like on my mother's grave kind of swearing. Saying, listen, I'm going to do that. And although it sounds very interesting and it gets your attention and I'm such a great orator and I'm putting my word down, really, I don't mean what I'm saying, okay? And Jesus is saying, listen, this is, this is ridiculous, and you and I, when we think about it, and we read this, we go, geez, that is ridiculous. But I think, if we think about it, we have our own version of it. Because really what Jesus is getting at, okay, in this passage, you know, all this clever, you know, you know, let's substitute God's name for heaven and Jerusalem and my own head and all this sort of sophistry, so to speak. What he's saying is, listen, he's criticizing elevated God speech, right? Whether that elevated God speech happens in church, often it does. That's why some people don't come to church. They think it's just a lot of baloney, a lot of elevated, inflated speech, right? Whether it happens in church, whether it happens in the marketplace, right? Where it often does. Let me tell you. Let me make a deal with you. Let me make a promise to you that I don't really think I'm going to keep. Or whether it happens in our politics, right? I mean, if we ever lived in a day, some of us who've been around for a while, where people are more um, put out, more just completely um, given up on the rhetoric in politics, because our speech is used often to discount another person's point of view, however flowery it might be, however God-infused it might be. What we're really trying to do is shout somebody else down. We're trying to discount their point of view. We're trying to manipulate other people simply to do what we want them to do to get our way. And when Jesus gets to the end of this in verse 37, he said, listen, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Keep it simple 
Keep it honest because anything more than that, I don't care if you put my name in it or it sounds wonderful and inspiring. If it's more than that, it's evil because it's inherently a wrong way to approach other human beings that I care about. See, all of the Ten Commandments, as we've said in this series, are not designed to be some pie-in-the-sky sort of elevated truth that we, we, we post up on a building somewhere and think that they're not related to our lives, that we admire them. No, we are supposed to live these out by the power of God. And, and, and it's all about protecting and nurturing human relationships, husbands and wives, parents and children, neighbors, friends, civic uh, relationships, marketplace, church, all of the above. Let your yes be yes, right? Mean what you say, say what you mean. Don't say more than you mean, okay? That's what Jesus is saying. Now, let me say something. Thought about this some. You know, people, almost three weeks ago, the um, governor of our state signed in uh, some legislation. Some of you know about it. Some of you care a lot about it as I do, the uh, Reproductive Health Act. And it was just another uh, uh, legislation that has to do with how abortion is understood and practiced in the state of New York. And a lot of people have said to me in those three weeks, Rob, we are our pastor. We want to know what you think. What do you think about this? We want to know what you have to say. And I would say this. I've read at least what's on the .gov site, the, uh, the, the RHA couple articles in there. I've read some commentary on it. I've talked to some people who I think they know what they're talking about, and I'm still learning about it, okay? I'm still learning about it. But let me say my personal view, what do I think just about the issue? I think abortion is a moral evil. I think it's the taking of a life. That's my position because of what the Bible has to say. And I think there's potential from my limited understanding of the Reproductive Health Act that it could bring about more of that possibly in the future because of that law. Okay? That said, I have been hesitant in the last three weeks to say anything about it, partly because I need to learn about it first, right? I need to read it. I need to know what I'm talking about. But because of the self-righteous and unhealthy tone that I have seen and heard come out of other people's mouth and seem displayed on social media, right? And it, 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 it concerns me because I say what I just said to you about the issue of abortion not because I'm a, it's not a part of some larger block of politics. I don't say that as a person from the right or a person from the left. I say that for one reason and one reason only, because of my understanding, my humble understanding of what the word of God says. And I want to come humbly before you or my neighbor or the guy in the locker room and say, this is what I believe and this is why and for no other reason, Right? I don't want people to confuse what I'm saying, which comes out of my understanding of, this, of, of, of God's gift of life. You may not share it. I respect that, friend. But I want you to know why I believe it. And it's, I say it with great humility because of what I read and believe in the word of God. And it has nothing to do with my political party or my political point of view. Right? What Jesus is saying is, listen, to be a true Christian... We're not supposed to attach God's name to my causes, right? 
I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to reflect his cause in the way that I live my life, okay? And even in sometimes in issues like this, it's hard, right? But we ought to do it. I want people to know, even in an issue as, as sensitive as this, as divisive as this, that I'm not, a, I'm not a moral high grounder. I'm not any better than anybody else. My politics aren't any bit more important than your politics. I believe it for one reason and one reason only, because of my humble understanding of what the Bible says about life. And I give it to you for what it's worth, uh, friend. Um, that's The good life has only one level of truth, right? Second thing Jesus is going to say here is this. As a follower of Jesus, you, I, we are always under oath, right? This is so, Jesus is so, you know, humbling to listen to him, right? He's saying, listen, cut all of the baloney. That's, you know, modern Jesus, okay? <laughs> cut the baloney. Can you imagine? You have heard that it was said long ago that there was this very elaborate kind of way of talking about, you know, uh, all these different matters, right? And I'm going to elevate my speech here. I'm going to elevate it here. I'm going to spice it up here. And how I talk to my business friends is this way. And how I talk to the guys in the locker room is this way. And how I talk to my neighbors is this way. And when I'm around a bunch of blue-collar people, I'm, you know, I talk about this is important. And white-collar people, I talk about this is important. And I'm doing it all and doing it all in a flowery way and adding God's name to it. And he's saying, listen, snap out of it, Right? Snap out of it. As a follower of Jesus, we're always under oath. We do not invoke a, 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 a God's presence by simply saying his name, right? Or by putting on a particular suit of clothes. Or even by coming to church, right? We don't, I'm not invoking God because I'm in a church service here any more than I'm invoking God if I'm sitting at my kitchen table or you are with your family and saying, let's bow our heads for prayer. We're not invoking God. We're acknowledging God, right? In other words, God's already there if, that's what the, if you believe what the Bible has to say. In every room, in every bedroom, in every jail cell, in every car, in other words, he's already present, He's everywhere present. I never, I can acknowledge his presence. That's what prayer is. I can acknowledge and ask for his advice, but he's always there. Everything that you say, everything that I say, especially if you consider yourself a Christian, God is already present. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. It means mean what you say, say what you mean, but do it. Here's where you're gonna, you and I will get better at this. Do it with a growing consciousness that God is with you, right? He's right there listening. He's a part of you, not judging you. He loves you, but he's a part of it. It's not just you and your friend or you and your wife or you and your buddies or you and your enemies or you and your boss. It's you and God. He's present. All of your speech is oath-laden in that sense. That's what Jesus is saying. We shouldn't have different levels of truth. We are always under oath. To speak in out of anger because of my hurt or my frustration to others or out of self-interest so that they can get what I want, how, whatever ways I might say it, however uh, uh, God-infused uh, it might be, is not only hurtful to other people, that's why Jesus cares about it, but it's also self-defeating. It's not said out of a good heart. It's said out of a troubled heart. Matthew chapter 12, listen to these verses carefully. 
Jesus' words, not mine. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. No, I just got done saying we don't have any good stored up in us until you get a new heart. And you learn how to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And you learn how to take that love and nurture it. Well, then you can grow a good heart. It's the whole point of this whole larger body of work. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. What is an empty word? It's saying what you don't mean, really. Okay, that's what he's saying. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. All of your words, everyday words, are oath-like. And they're supposed to lead to actions that match it. This is what real integrity means, right? You've heard the old, it's a cliche and it's true, when the inside (laughs) matches the outside, right? When you say what you mean and mean what you say. And what Jesus is so getting at really in this, you know, in this paragraph is just saying, listen, he's, he's challenging the incongruency. Yes, he's using these uh, leaders as an example, but it's a challenge to us when our words do not match the true intent of our heart and certainly doesn't match the way that we live our lives. Psalm 15, this is the best example from the Bible anyway. You said, give me, how, what, is, what is moral integrity? I can't think of a, a clearer way this is what Jesus is saying, but now said in a, in, in a more clear, direct, positive way. What actually is moral integrity supposed to look like in one's life? Psalm 15, just a couple verses. David, the, the author. Who, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live in your holy mountain? That's just Bible way of saying, who can live their life really in your presence? What does it look like? Or what could it or should it look like if I really think my life is, is lived, even my small, private, little, whether it's bedroom conversations, locker room conversations, whatever it is, neighbors, friends, you know, high and low, what does it mean for me to live in your presence, okay? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart. Watch how much of this short definition of moral integrity has to do with what you say. Who speaks the truth from their heart. Whose tongue utters no slander. Who does no wrong to a neighbor. And casts no slur on others. Who despises a vile person. Who honors those who fear the Lord. Who keeps an oath even when it hurts. And does not change their mind. I said, I'm going to be there at 10 o'clock. I'm going to be there at 10 o'clock, even if it costs me something. I said, for richer or poor, in sickness and in health, and I'm going to do that even if it hurts me, okay? About seven or eight years ago, um, I mentioned some of this, I'm sure, before. I went through a very difficult, probably the most challenging time in my ministry, my adult life here at the church, a leadership crisis of sorts. We had some staff leave. Uh, it wasn't any moral failures, but it was a very challenging time. And we had, um, we needed some help. And our elder boards, you know, got some help from a, a thoughtful, wise, a professional outsider, organizational uh, helper. And he came. It was, it was a tough years. 
And I ended up meeting with a guy, you know, a professional uh, 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 you know, organizational counselor, coach, also a very committed Christian. We met four hours a month for a year when that was over, um, uh, just talking about, you know, my own heart, life, leadership. I got involved with an, an organ, a group uh, of 12 other people, or 15 maybe, of other leaders in a closed group where we did, we did we had with another leader, uh, a, a counselor, coach, and for another year of intense uh, work together. And in the course of that year, there was an exercise uh, that we did. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And we had to take this, um, these questions and you had to go to eight or ten people in your life, not, you know, people on the bus or, you know, you know, friends from Facebook, your family, the people you work with and for, um, you know, your spouse, your friends, whoever, the most important people in your life, and say to them, would you do me a favor? I'm asking you to do this for me. Number one, I want you to write down what you really, how you really experience me. Here's two or three questions. I want you to be as honest as you can be, and then I want to meet with you and talk to you about it. Now, let me tell you something about that process. <laughs> if you absolutely don't have to do it, don't do it. Okay? <laughs> but I was in a place where I'd signed up for this. Now, here's the thing about the eight or ten people. You know, you can always dismiss what one person says. Oh, you're always this and you're always that. Yeah. But when eight people tell you more or less the same thing, and they're people that know you and love you, you're not supposed to go out and find your enemies. You're supposed to take the people that are important in your life. When they tell you, honest, they're saying what they mean and mean what they say because you ask them. You got to pay attention. And in summary fashion, what I learned in that process, one of the hardest things I've learned, in so many words, this is what these close friends and work friends, elders, whoever said this to me, they said, Rob, we love you, we care about you. But this is how we experience you sometimes. I'm not so sure when I'm with you, let's say I'm in your office or in a locker room or wherever I'm with you, when I'm with you, I feel like I'm, you're hearing what I'm saying, I'm seeing your head nod, you seem to affirm what I'm saying, and I walk out in a day or a week, a month later, you seem to seem that you don't actually affirm what it is that I've said. You seem to be listening and affirming what I'm saying. That's the way I experience you. But then I hear you sometimes openly contradict what I thought you said when we were together. Okay? And said in a Bible way, I'm not sure you're speaking the truth from your heart. Right? And whether that was done out of people pleasing or because I wanted someone to do what I wanted them to do, it was a very hard reality. Okay? Let me do a public apology <laughs> if I happen to have done that to you. Okay? What do you do in that moment? What do we do in this moment? You have to own up to it, number one. And that's the first step in getting better. And then invite God and others into a process of getting better, right? Realizing that, listen, I got a heart problem. And just because you became a Christian five or 25 years ago, you still have a heart problem. And I need to, every day I need to wake up and say, hunger and thirst for a righteousness that I don't have. And ask for God to do a deeper work in who I am and to get down deeper so that I can get to a place where God's love, my last point, truth-telling is only possible when you know that you're loved, right? 
right? The more I understand what God says about me, not because of who I am, but because of his love. You are my son, you are my daughter, and who I am well pleased. The more I understand God's love and the more I live out of that love, that's what the Beatitudes are about, the more I'm released from my anxieties about wanting to find your approval and find your acceptance, and I can say what I mean and mean what I say and let the chips fall where they are, okay? That's what Jesus is talking about. Truth-telling is only possible when you know you're loved. And when you know that love and learn how to live out of that love, you can give up your schemes to try to save yourselves um, and get your way, okay? There's a prayer. I've said this before. I'll close with this thought. Um, that I have prayed, if, if, you know, they say this, I don't know how this will all work out in heaven, but it says, you know, God keeps your prayers in a bottle or something like that, right? If, if that's true in some way, if you were to look at all the prayers in my bottle from 2012 to now, just making that up, that rough, you know, this season in my life, there would be one prayer I'm confident in so many words would be spoken the most. And it's a, it's a, it's a paraphrase of a verse of scripture in 1 Corinthians, very short, and says this, Jesus Christ is my wisdom, our wisdom. And wisdom just means he's our way of life, right? How do you live life? And it says, colon, three things. He is my righteousness. He is my holiness. He is my redemption. And that prayer, as I kind of understand the true meaning of it, I say all the time, in the car, waking up. Waking up's a good time, too. And I say, listen, God, I want to know right now, you are my righteousness. Now, what does that mean? It means this. There's a verse in the Old Testament that says, all of our righteousness, Isaiah 64, all of our good works, however you want to call it, is as a filthy rag before God. It's a vivid metaphor. In the Hebrew that that, uh, translated in English, filthy rag, it's a single word, and it actually means, in, in, you know, in 7th century B.C. um, mindset, word uh, uh, vocabulary, it means the menstrual cloth. Okay, now, it's not a knock on women. It's about all of us. It's just saying, I'm going to take a vivid metaphor when Isaiah is writing, saying, I want you to understand whether you're Mother Teresa, whoever you are, it's not about we're all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that all of us, when it comes to trying to say, God, accept me, I'm having a good day. Let me, uh, you know, find favor with you today. To bring your own righteousness is, is, is a fool's errand, okay? In a, relative to the righteousness of Jesus Christ, I might be better than you and you might be better than me, but relative to the righteousness of Jesus Christ, it's a filthy rag. And the sooner you realize that, the better. You can quit trying to manipulate others and make yourself seem like you're better than others and just come before, why did the Beatitudes begin with this? Blessed are the poor in spirit. I want to come to God every single day and say, Lord, relative to you, that's not me against the world, I'm not comparing myself to others, relative to you, my righteousness is is a filthy rag. But thank God for the grace and love of Jesus Christ. And I'm coming to you today and say, fill me with your righteousness. You are my righteousness. That's my prayer. I want to remember that even though I'm going to fail today, I'm going to be criticized today, I'm going to say things I shouldn't say, I'm going to fail some people today and be failed by people. That's okay because you're my righteousness. 
and, and, and I'm gonna, I want to drink more deeply of that righteousness today. Second, you are my holiness. What a blessing, Lord, because I know when I think about whether I'm a holy guy or I'm a good guy, or I, 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 I have my moments and I laugh and go, who are you kidding? Who are you kidding? And now some of the worst thoughts that can be thought, I think them just like you do. And, but I can say I'm so grateful that you are in a manner of speaking through a transferred life of Jesus Christ, through the love and grace of God, through the Holy Spirit. You are my holiness. I'm not on a self-made man uh, process and being a Christian. I'm about opening my life, hunger and thirsting for righteousness. You're my holiness. And ultimately, the last part of that prayer, you are my redemption, which is just a Bible word of saying God is exchanging his life for ours day in and day out. Amen? That's what it's all about, guys. And if you and I want to be able to live the moral law of God out, if we want to be able to have moral integrity, we can do it. Jesus went to the cross for telling the truth because you and I don't tell the truth always. But in, in, as we receive him and learn how to live out of him, he gives us a kingdom heart, for lack of a better way of saying it, so that we can be more like him. Just think of these verses as we close. This is, this, is, this, is, this is what they said about Jesus. I hope they begin to say it about you and me. They came to him and said, and by the they in this verse, they were his enemies. They weren't his friends. These were not the friends. Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. Okay? That's what they said about him. They weren't, this wasn't fluff. We know that you're a man of integrity. Why? You aren't swayed by others, right? What does that mean? You know, you don't, you don't, you don't, you're not out there looking for the compliment. You're not saying what people want to hear, right? You're not a people pleaser. Uh, you know, that's not how you roll. You're not swayed by others because you, know, you pay no attention to who they are. Now, he doesn't mean by that he doesn't care and love people. We know the opposite. He means in the context of, Jesus doesn't act differently around, you know, the white collar and the blue collar and the well-to-do and the not-so-well-to-do and the people who have what he wants and the people who don't have what he wants. That's what he's saying, okay? You don't pay attention to who people are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth, right? Jesus, what do you think about abortion? Well, get ready. Here comes my political sermon. No, he doesn't say that. He says, it's a serious issue, and it's, it's a sad issue, and there's a lot of sadness about people who've experienced it, and that we don't talk about a lot, and it's, it's, it's caused a lot of damage, and I'm sad for every person who's had anything to do with that. It's touched their life. It's, it's, it makes me sad, um, but I believe it uh, because... I have a high value on the gift of life, not because I'm a such and such, okay? Right? Um, let us pray. Father in heaven, we, we do thank you. I thank you for the opportunity to be in this room with these, my, um, my friends and neighbors and, uh, and uh, Brown Crofters. Uh, just thank you for the gift of life, not only the gift of life, um, you know, a physical life, but the gift of, of eternal life uh, that you offer to anybody 
you know, you, as the song says, you came from heaven to earth. You came after us. We didn't come after you. And you did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And you died for us while we were yet sinners. When we were saying no thank you in a manner of speaking, you know, throwing, thumbing our nose at you and worse. You said, I love you anyway. And you invited us into a whole different quality of life that begins with forgiveness, begins with grace, begins with compassion. And, and uh, Lord, we thank you for that. And I'm thankful for, to be a part uh, of this great uh, community. Sinners all, but we love you and we want to be more like you. And particularly in this morning as I think about this issue where I know I have failed in, in moral integrity in meaning what I say and saying what I mean. Lord, help us all not to overwhelm ourselves, not to judge ourselves, but to come to you to seek grace and mercy and, Lord, to seek to hunger and thirst for a righteousness that can only be given. And help us, Lord, to let, uh, to be more like you in this way, to, to think about what we say and, um, and, and say what we, only what we mean and to do what we've committed to do day in and day out. And, uh, and we just ask you uh, for this strength. I pray for anyone in this room who, who maybe has a thought about a relationship that's at in trouble or a or failure in this area. Lord, give them your grace, your wisdom, encouragement um, to know that with your power, your strength, we can get better at this. And they can, be, they can take a step towards um, uh, uh, repairing our own imperfect integrity and, and ultimately for the benefit of healthy relationships, uh, which is the biggest apologetic <laughs> really, uh, for, the, for the Christian faith, that people see that we do love each other and that we, do, um, uh, we, we can live the love of Christ in small and medium ways in the way we treat each other and, and, uh, and whether they're Christians or not. So we love you, we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.